looking very springy today. Oh, well, I had a series of meetings today, so I felt like I needed to, you know, put Clean on some up real... your act. Yeah, you know, I can't, uh, you know, James Worthy was in the wash, and so I couldn't, you know, I couldn't find the right Laker jersey yeah, to where toss was, on. Where was Kareem and Magic? Uh, these days, those guys usually are reserved for like, you know, the wall, right? I don't, I don't wear them very much. Uh, Worthy, Kobe, Shaq, um, I've got, I think two or three, four others, um, you know, and I, I need to get new Dodger shirts, Jeff, because everybody that I had shirts for has left us now, you know, so, um, that is true. So it's a wardrobe crisis, right? So, um, yeah, but on these days when I have to do meetings, I have to look somewhat presentable. Right. Yeah, I must it's say all, you, it's it's all a performance, Jeff. It's all a performance. Are you telling me that we uh, we construct performativity? Is that what, is that what you're getting at? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm getting at. That's oh. what I'm getting at. Although we can just check that off our PhD uh, uh, smart boy uh, box list now. Yeah, there you go. Performativity you go. for there the day. Go. Yeah, there you go. Oh man. Uh, well, we're Lonely PhDs. I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hayes. He's Dr. Joseph Watson. And on this show, we talk about films and folks dialing into this particular episode. It's going to get dark. Um, well, we're going to keep it light, though. We're, we're going to try. We're going to keep it light. Yeah, we're going to we're going to try because we got we got two uh, two films today that I didn't realize until uh, just the other day. I was just like, "Whoo, these are these are two dark ones. Oh, I don't think we yeah. had a. A double like this, yeah, a double dip like this. Uh, today on the show, we are going to look at the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, the Coen Brothers joint from 2018, and also Casino by, let me check my notes here, a filmmaker by the name of Martin Scorsese. Yeah, he's, he's done a couple of things. He's done a couple of things. 1995 uh, is when this particular film came out. So, yeah. Uh, I want to jump right into uh, the Coens, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Uh, they're they're one and only foray into Netflix, and might also be their last film together. Um, they have not made a film. The Coen brothers have not made a film together since. Uh, really, two thousand and eighteen. Yeah, uh, this is a Western anthology film, and I, I just I find it interesting that they decided to do an anthology film because one people really don't do anthology films uh, anymore. They're, they're a bit, you know, they can the French, a, the French, the French do, but really since the, the streaming boom happened, uh, people have stayed away from anthology films um, because people it's have more episodic, more episodic yeah, you know, yeah. uh, this film has all your Coen brothers, regulars like Tim Blake Nelson uh, and, 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 uh, 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 Stephen Root, but it's got a whole bunch of other people in it too, including Liam Neeson, who's absolutely fantastic. Uh, that segment is dark as it is, but uh, this film is also interesting right off the bat because this is the uh, uh, this was the Coens dipping their toe into digital photography. They had not made a film all digitally. Now they had used digital effects because that's how they used the color saturation in uh, uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? that was revolutionary, but this was the first time that they did not film the film, the actual film on 35 millimeter. Uh, I, and I found that fascinating and I was doing my reading this week. They found it absolutely aggravating. Uh, they, they did not have a good experience with it. 
but of course, as it's come out, they weren't having a really good experience with each other anymore. Hence that this has been the last film that they did together, uh, which I hope it's not. I, I really don't, but you know, you never know, you know, you never know with these things. Uh, basically this film is broken down into six, I believe it's five or six individual stories. Uh, the actual Ballad of Buster Scruggs near Algodones, Meal Ticket, All Gold Canyon, The Gal Who Got Rattled, and The Mortal Remains. And I want to kind of, let's walk, let's kind of walk through each one, I think would be good. Each, you know, each one has its own very Cohen-ish viewpoint um, mm -hmm. of what I just kind of like to describe. When people ask me, how do I describe the Cohen brothers? I go, the universe cares not for your concerns. That is exactly how I describe the Cohen brothers, and they do not disappoint uh, in this in this these these short films. Uh, we'll lead off with the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which is Buster Scruggs, a cheerful singing cowboy, arrives at an isolated cantina full of outlaws, where he exchanges insults with another patron before effortlessly shooting everyone as they reach for their guns. Uh, Buster Scruggs, played by the always amazing Tim Blake Nelson. Uh, here really dialing it up to 11 dressed in all white in the hero outfit singing on horseback with his guitar this is actually a very musical segment actually it's a very musical movie uh, a lot of singing occurs in this movie. I kind of want to talk about that as well but what uh, as as this segment goes on uh, the violence of this opening segment, even by Cohen Brothers standards, is shocking. Like he, one person he dispatches <laughs> in one of the bars, uh, uh, he he holds his hands up. He's unarmed, and the guy pulls the gun on him. And there's one of those big round tables, and he kicks the round table, and the guy shoots himself in the head. But he does it like six times. You know, like once wasn't good enough. You know, it's just, but that goes back to that old adage, if you're well, if you're going to shoot someone, <laughs> you better make sure they're dead. Um, this is an, this is a very violent opening to this film. How did you react to that? Like, uh, well, I was pretty giddy, right? Because um, <laughs> uh, I had not seen this. And so I was, you know, it, it had just slipped uh, and um I was really pleasantly surprised. Um, I really enjoyed it. And so one of the reasons was, um, you know, they, they just wanted to subvert all of the Western archetypes, like, like right every, off the bat. Like, I mean, uh, well, all, uh, they really attempt to do all of it. Right. It's, it's a very all encompassing sort of um, subversion process going on in all six of the stories, but the first one they're going after the gunslinger right and this they're trying to sort of reinvent the gunslinger right and so uh you mentioned the music and it does it sets a tone right because the western origins right are in that sort of roy rogers like gene yeah. autry like you know singing cowboy uh uh genre subgenre within the western um but yet he's got this like hyper violent like you know so they're they're right off the bat letting us know that we're going to be subverting everything Right. And um, we're going to be uh, filling it with excess. Right. So like excess violence, excess blood and gore. Like it just it just for me, it heightened uh, the comedy. Um, and also it's it's just fucking mean. 
Yes. You know, I, yes. Uh, in, in, in this personification, I think it's safe to say of, of what Tim Blake Nelson is achieving with this character also is like, this is a direct commentary on all of those ways that, that old cowboy heroes were a bit fascist. Right. Like, right. just right. like, well, if they'd only given me a fair shake, I'll yeah, I can see, yeah, you know, I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. Game in a, you know, in, yeah. a, in a good shake, but yeah, I can't that, kill that, him. It's like this really like twisted sense of Western justice that existed, right? Like, what's fair and what's not, and just this inability to just like have ownership over, like, you know, no, I'm just a shitty person, like, you know, but right. it's always like being displaced like somewhere else. He yeah. even opens the wanted posters, like, can you believe it? Yeah, yeah. I can't believe that they would say of all the names I've been called that I'm right. wanted. Right, right. right. <laughs> I mean, it, it's just like. And his performance, right? Like, really sells are, are there, it. I mean, it's are there it's, bad Cohen Brothers performances though? It's it's really hard. I was thinking about it after I'd watched the movie, and I was digging in my head. The only thing I can think of is is that weird back to back they did with uh, 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 Tom Hanks and George Clooney. Those are those are the only ones I can think right. of. Right. I, I mean, but I I'm hard pressed usually to find bad coen brothers performances that's well and it's it's typically because their writing is so great right um you know they have great scripts um it's it's i I always think of it too like it's mammoth-esque as Mm -hmm. as far as just like the cadence Mm -hmm. everyone is really like it's very specific you know when they do repeats you know, they love repeat lines, like to reinforce a joke or to reinforce an idea or have a specific character repeat something. I really always really do enjoy that. Um, I, I don't want to I don't want to tarry too long on, on each segment, though. Um, so the next segment is called Near Algodones, uh, which is bank, basically a, a bank robbery gone wrong. Um, question mark. <laughs> Uh, that one is that one is one of my 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 favorites from the set uh because you know you got James Franco who at the time was you know you know on their eyes is is you know like this action oh, red star, hot. right right and uh uh um and um it might have been around the time that he hosted the Oscars too I can't remember there was that weird year where they you know where he hosted the Oscars um but uh yeah it it sets it up for that classic sort of robbery, you know, cowboy, uh, uh, robbery. The bank. Yeah. And it just doesn't go well for him. Uh, it, <laughs> doesn't, it just, just doesn't go well. And it's so funny because you, you look at the bank teller and you're like, well, clearly he's going to take this guy. Right. And then it just, uh-huh. you know, subverts all it escalates. But yeah. Yeah. Um, and then he just repeatedly ends up finding himself in situations where he's about to be hung. Right. Or he's about to be hung. <laughs> um, and so it's just such a funny commentary on that ridiculous cyclical sense of justice. In, what is he? He in looks the at West. the guy the third time. He's like, first time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's great. I that mean, great. as far as beats go, that that was a pretty perfect beat, you know. But I, I just again, uh, Stephen Root shows up as the bank teller, and anybody who once you see him, you'll know who he or hear his voice, you'll know who he is. But he's he, he's been in so many Cohen projects. Uh, and just as a character actor in general, just that whole pan shooting thing, pan shot. <laughs> it just, it just takes you, it, it takes was. you off guard. But I, I, I thought that it's very funny. I thought that this segment in particular was really 
setting up again this idea about that you know chaos theory right like it doesn't matter when you think you've gotten away with something the universe again cares not and it's going to find a way to get you right he he keeps thinking he's out of it but they they set up all of these great visual signpost too with the hangings like the attempted hangings and then eventually he does get hanged of course in the in the end and i thought it was an interesting out on that one where he sees the girl in the in the thing is just like wow pretty girl and then i guess it's just because they're giving you a false sense that he might get out of it one more time right 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 you're the trap door in the snap well because that's normally what would happen in one of those older movies right there'd be a pretty lady in the crowd is wait you know (laughs) Bear him. I want to take him and reform right. him. You know, that kind of thing. You know, it just it's just not what you get. It's not it, what you get. It's not what you get. Uh the third segment is called Meal Ticket. And it's this another has, one of my favorites. Yeah. Wow. I, I gotta be honest. This is this this one. I had to I had to stop. I I had to take a I had really? to take a breath. I had to because I was just like. Did you see it coming? Like, did you see no, what was going to happen? No, the dark. Oh, okay. okay. Well, yeah. when he gets the when chicken. When he got the chicken, I, I mean, come I on. It's like there's that, that real estation that, wow, you know, because he's riding in the back of the wagon and with the chicken and you could just get, they're like weighted together in that shot. And you see on his face, like the chicken is now more valuable. Right. Than I am, you well, know? Let, me, and, uh, let me, let me set it up for people real quick. Uh, Liam Neeson. And by the way, there is no dialogue between Liam Neeson and the young actor in this in this uh in this segment liam neeson does sing a song though but there is actual no dialogue uh an aging impresario played by liam neeson and his artist harrison a young man with no arms or no legs travel from town to town in a wagon that converts into a small stage where harrison theatrically recites classics such as Ozymandias, Cain and Abel, works by Shakespeare, etc., and always concluding with Lincoln's Gettysburg Address <laughs> for some by reason. the people, for the people. Um, the impresario always collects money from the audience at the end of each performance, but profits we see dwindle as they visit increasingly more remote mountain towns with smaller and more indifferent audiences. What I was able to take away from Meal Ticket was more a commentary on the changing tastes of America. Sure. As yeah. far as what, you know, and I don't know if that's more, mo- I mean, did you see a modern metaphor there? I definitely saw a 19th this century next, metaphor. Well, sure. Yeah. But it's like next best thing, right? Like the, yeah. you know, it's like we're on the cusp probably at, at that particular story of the PT Barnum sort of like, you know, phrase, whereas, you know, come see the, uh, the leopard lady and the, you know, come see the magic, you know, we're, we're, we're getting into that sort of carnivalesque uh, era where you had the touring shows, right? Um, uh, in, uh, in in certain parts of America. So it was the next best thing, right? Like what's the next best attraction? What's the next best thing that's going to draw the audience in and make me my money, you know? Right, and, but it was interesting because last weekend you and I went to a oral recitation and a play. <laughs> yes. Right? And, and, and I, I was yeah. thinking about it constantly <laughs> while I was watching this and just going... Oh well, the the chicken that can guess the number is going to beat us every time. <laughs> Absolutely, you know, there's no question. And um, it 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 was funny because you know they have those great scenes where you know he's performing in front of 
you know, sometimes two, three, four people. And it made me think of, I started laughing even more because it, I, I am going to digress for a second. It made me think of Soap Dish and yeah. the movie Soap Dish. And when Kevin Klein is giving oh, that. Oh, it goes on the ranch. At the beginning, uh, when he's, he's doing Death of a Salesman. Dinner senior, theater. Dinner theater for senior <laughs> citizen homes in Florida. And he's like, we're going to go to Boston. Where did he say Boston? You know, he's I like, said Boston. It's so, it just, you know, empathy for the performer, you know, the, um, the, the Sunday matinee crowd, you know, all those sort of like theater empathies came back when I was watching the, you know, those scenes with the performances in front of two, three people and he's passing the hat around and it's like nothing. You're like, they're, you know, they're not going to get any donations or anything there near the end. And it's like, yep. Chickens. The chicken's going to win. Chicken's going to win. But, you know, did you, the, I was curious about their decision to not show the action in the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah, I loved it. I thought it was great. Uh, I I was appreciative of it. Yeah, because um, yeah. I was just like, oh shit, are they going to go for it? Because I mean, what whatever really stops them. It's it's it was it was at least a breath of fresh air. But the 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 Harrison character when he cuts his eyes at that chicken and the wagon stops, such just such heartbreak yeah because he knows like yeah. he he knows it's it i mean when you're resigned, well, he watches he's it saying, right i mean you, oh you, i mean that's even worse see him watch liam nisa walk over to the bridge test the rock, test the rock. <laughs> <laughs> see but we're laughing it's like, i know but it's like i did start laughing when i was watching it i was like oh buddy oh buddy oh, this, this, is, this is not going to end well you know i mean do we do we are we so cynical I, you know, this this brings me up with the Coens too. It's just that, are we so cynical going into Cohen films that we, this they give us the 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 ticket to laugh, you know, at yes, at these yes, things. Yes, I mean at because the, at the absurdity of it. Yes, yes. Well, yeah. I mean, but it's the absurdity of existence. Yes, you know that and, that, and what, how chaotic it is. Yeah, and, and mean, unpredictable. Yeah. Right, the unpredictability of right. it, and in, in, I mean we. My wife can't stand them. She just is just like, no, they're they're fucking mean and dark, and you know, <laughs> she can't see the humor in that. I guess, or the, or the humor. the humor. She doesn't she, find that funny. Those those no, are her limits, right? I mean, she there are limits, and yeah. I think that that's a very specific how they've been able to continually make films for forty years. It's it's actually mind blowing when you think about. It. I mean, even True Grit, their remake of True Grit, which I love, I love that film. I mean, that film's pretty mean. They're they're staying more true to the Portis novel. You know, there there's no real heroes here. These are just all you know people on the grift trying to to make their way, right? Right. I mean, right. Even and this is of course the invention of the uh, what we now know as the Jeff Bridges grumble. Uh, that began with Coburn's guts. That's right. That's right. Can you imagine Jeff Bridges in a sequel to Starman where he has to come back and mimic his Rooster Cogburn character? Like, Oh, wow. And still trying to do it straight like this. Yeah. Wouldn't that be fun? That'd be fun. Actually, that would be a lot of fun. I would like that. (laughs) Our next segment is my favorite segment of the sequence. uh, Gold Canyon. All Gold Canyon. Starring the amazing Tom Waits. Second week, a, Tom Waits on the board. Yeah, you're just a Tom Waits whore. 
I am. I love his. I, we own all the albums. I, it's just, but I got to tell you here, this this segment is is so they they of course put it right in the right spot because after meal ticket, you needed a little palate cleanser. And Gold Canyon, at least for the first half of it, gives you that. And as we talk about Mr. Pocket, where are you? To the left, you to the right, maybe you're in the middle. Um, Tom Waits plays a grizzled prospector who arrives in a pristine mountain valley and decides to dig for gold in a grassy meadow beside a river. Uh, And this takes place over a course of a number of days. Of course, it goes south when someone who's been trailing him, right, sneaks up on him and tries to kill him. So, you know, but but I love the beginning where man is introduced through song and it pisses nature off. Like nature immediately leaves. Right. The butterflies, the owls, the fish. Like they hear Tom Wakes coming up singing, oh, Mother McCree. Yeah. You know, and they just- Butterflies are like, I'm out of here. Yeah. yeah they're they're yeah, just, yeah, they're yeah. out. Yeah. Even the cute deer, they're gone. Yeah. Because they know, they know that man is coming to take what is not his. That's right. Right? To 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 claim something that he has no business claiming. And in this case, he's looking for gold. And here in this pristine, beautiful place, where again, they use it as a backdrop to foreshadow extreme violence, right? That man will perpetrate upon himself, right? To claim what? Something that doesn't belong to them anyway, or that something that they've put value upon that has no value in the ecological system, which I found just absolutely mesmerizing. Like, I, you know, it's, it, on top of the moment, of course, after he, he, Tom Waits gets shot in the back and he's laying there and the guy's way, I love the moment where he's waiting, the guy rolls the cigarette and he's, he's trying to be, he's waiting, you know, he's seeing if the body, they show the blood actually expanding over the body and the cloud cover goes over and he jumps in the hole and Tom Waits gets a drop on him, shoots him. <laughs> you didn't hit nothing important. <laughs> you just got guts. <laughs> now that made my wife laugh. She was she really was okay, okay, okay. She was sitting in the other okay. room and she heard that and she started to cackle a little bit. And I said, huh? Huh? Well, I guess it is kind of a Monty Python trick, you know, like the I'm not dead yet, you know. Right. I'll, I'll come back, I'll buy your leg off, you know. It but, went straight uh, through. <laughs> what do you think of this segment? Did you Oh, it was fine. Yeah. I mean, it was it was um it's probably uh one of the ones that was clearly the funniest, right? Um, yes. And and the, the, just the thing that I picked up on was that one was really all about man's exploitation of nature and just sort of the arrogance of man, you know, to just to just well, it's here, I'm gonna take it, you know, uh, you know. How many? Just, how, how how high can an owl count anyway? I just I just <laughs> yeah. I, and yeah, just this arrogance, right? right. And the, the 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 uh the fact that there's that long shot at one point when he's digging. Mm-hmm. And you see he's dig he's he's done like 24 holes like all yes. up and down like that's you know it's just like just gonna ruin this beautiful landscape oh, yeah, I know. by digging these boxes of holes along. It's just yeah, so that you know you're definitely picking up on that and you're kind of snickering at it. Um, you know, these because they're allow, they're allowing you to, you know, they're they're <laughs> oh, going down, going back up. Yeah, oh, these are keepers. 
but the metaphors are are quite clear uh, in in uh, in that one for sure, for sure. And of course, as as he exits singing Mother McCree, nature returns, it returns to claim hopefully what it can to repair whatever damage man has done, if that's right, if it if if at all possible, uh, which leads us into a really interesting segment called the gal who got rattled. Um, Again, uh, here we have uh, Alice Long, a character named Alice Longabaugh, and her older brother Gilbert, an inept businessman, who are journeying on a wagon train across the prairie towards Oregon. Well, Gilbert claims a new business partner will marry his sister, and life will begin anew. Um, Gilbert doesn't make it, uh, but the sister does, uh, as does uh, President Pierce, his very annoying little little doggy uh, that everybody tries to dispatch with but yet you just can't kill president pierce can't can't but you can't can't, you know because joey do you know the old rule about dogs you can't kill you can't kill the dogs you kill a dog because you cannot the audience will never forgive you for that's right that's right the coens tried no john wick's only movie right that's gotten away with that (laughs) um but yes Um, yes that that is the, the rule we we have this wonderful end uh, so Alice wanders off because she actually tries to go rescue President Pierce towards the end. Uh, and one of the uh, cattle, uh, one of the wagon train people go out to get her. And unfortunately, uh, they are encountered by some uh, uh, native native folks. Some uh, rascals. So as he calls them rascals. Some rascals. And one of the most intense action sequences they can really do when they when they're when they really want to you know what there's one line the guy to mr arthur delivers where he's just like well this is we're going to see how it plays out like like, this is i mean i'm just like jesus christ yes you are you know and of course gopher holes uh dog dog hole (laughs) but uh it's it's intense uh unfortunately uh she does get rattled and kills herself I was impressed. I really thought that this would be one of those Cohen characters that would persevere, but they, they caught me off guard with this one. Mm, really? That one surprised you, huh? Yeah. It didn't, you know, you didn't. You yeah. Well, I mean, a little, I guess, I mean, I, nothing they do ever really like surprises me. It's more of like a, their choices, you know, or what um, are, I guess are what shock me. Um, but uh no, I, I mean, I guess, I don't know. It was just such a meditation on like uh, love and loss, um, you know, the fleeting nature of things, like how quickly, how quickly something could end. Um, and just, you know, that experiencing that, that, that pain of loss. Right. Um, and uh, I also think they had to get into this trope, right. Of the, that exists in the Western, which is the prearranged sort of marriage situation. Right, the prearranged right? marriage. Right, uh, you know. Um, Is he bona fide? Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, and and where women were seen as, you know, like economic property that, you know, mm-hmm. sort of could just be transferred and we, you know, we sort of maintain our wealth that way. I mean, it, you know, that, that, all of that is uh, a component of the Western genre, and we have seen that play out, you know. So, um, so yeah, given how they had started subverting everything from the very beginning, I knew it wasn't going to end well, 
Right? I mean, I expected so. the wagon train to get attacked. Okay. And they try because okay. because initially they set up, they say, oh, well, they would never attack a wagon train. They're too scared. I'm just like, okay, well, that's foreshadowing. But no. Uh, right. You know, you come back around to, to where they are isolated. Right. Uh, just the two of them. And, but, you know, Mr. Arthur's so, just so on top. Like, this ain't his first rodeo, right? Like, he's just like, oh, you just see one. Keep looking, ma'am. Because they're going to, they're going to, I made my peace sign. And he did not answer it back. So get yeah, ready for a fight. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, you know, right. I felt myself getting tense all yeah. of a sudden. I was just like, oh, what kind of fight? Like four or five, no, like 15 or 20. Yeah. Show up on that ridge. I'm like, oh, no, they're not getting, yeah. this, there's no this, way, there's no way they're both well. getting out of this alive. But yep. Mr. Arthur survives, you know, along with President Pierce. <laughs> um. I think that that particular segment is their most beautiful cinematography mm-hmm. uh, of all of the segments. Mm-hmm. The, the wide sweeping yeah. vistas, you know, they're, they're real John Ford shit. Just, mm-hmm. you know, um, Agreed. Agreed. Based, based on what I read this week, too, it was an absolute struggle for them. They, they, they had a horrible time. Again, their first use of digital, uh, but also... They said the weather just would not cooperate. Yeah, the weather. Yeah, I mean that's um, always the when you shoot an exterior, that's always the big, the big. And thing. you're shooting an actual wagon train, like you know, trying to yeah. be period authentic and coordinate yeah. all that. And I, I'm just who would very, ever who who would ever want to make a western? It's crazy, it's crazy <laughs> people, crazy people that want to make I, westerns. I will say that I did not realize that uh, Deacons was not the the DOP on this. Uh, they had a different cinematographer, Bruno Del. Bonell. I'm sorry. I, had to, I hope I pronounced that correctly. And he uh, actually had worked with them on Inside Llewellyn Davis, uh, but oh, okay. he also had shot Amelie, um, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince and the French Dispatch uh, later also. So um, good bona fides. Yeah, that's a pretty good use, CV. Yeah. To, use, uh, to use Cohen Parnell's. Um, the last segment, the most fascinating segment, The Mortal Remains. Uh, At sunset, in a carriage, five people, an Englishman, an Irishman, a Frenchman, a lady, and a fur trapper are riding to Fort Morgan, Colorado. One of them, the Englishman, says that he and his traveling partner, the Irishman, often travel this route ferrying cargo, alluding to a corpse on the roof. But he does not specify the nature of their business till much later when it is revealed that they are bounty hunters. Um, This, of course... Is what this this reminded me the most of Barton Fink, as mm. far as what what are they really trying to say here? You know what 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 is what is left up to us? You know what's in the box, right? <laughs> what's you know what's in the hotel exactly? What is this place? Who are these men? Um, why do they take such delight in their job? And they do take delight in their job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, as it's described at one time, uh, that one of them likes to uh, uh, distract one while the other thumps the other from behind uh, and takes them by surprise. But isn't that's that right. death? But that's death. Death, death never arrives when, when you want it to. And right. these allusions to it constantly in this kind con- the, uh, the, the, the coach cannot be late. The coach does not stop. The coach always arrives. It is on a schedule. You cannot stop the coach anytime that you want. 
right? This is, I saw this as like just their bigger metaphor masking that they're always so and good at, you know, like when they want to dig a little bit deeper into something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and to me, this is, this whole thing's the metaphor for death. Like it's, it's just like, and when they arrive at the hotel and they're standing at the door, you know, and they see the bounty hunters carrying the body up, um, you know, even it's, it's the, uh, it's the Frenchman in the end who sort of shrugs, smiles and puts his hat on and goes, mm-hmm. well, because he was the one that was talking about, you cannot predict. You cannot predict behaviors. You cannot predict things. Why, why would you struggle with prediction? What good does prediction do you? When in the end, it's coming one way or the other. We all have it coming, kid. Yeah. <laughs> made me think of the, the speech and unforgiven. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely, uh, it, was, it functions to me like a coda in a way, mm-hmm. right? Um, it allows us to or allows them to uh, ruminate on these sort of thematic elements that they've woven in through the other pieces. Uh, Very challenging, right? Because as I recall, it all takes place inside that stagecoach. So yes, until um, they get out at the very uh, end, until the very end. Right. I mean, so, you know, that's, they even, they even do that great trick cinematographically where they change time. You know, we go from like dusk where we can see sunlight to darkest of night. That just caught my eyes. It's so impressive. Yeah, right? it's I, cool. I love it's it when cool. they can do that. It's cool. So, um, but it also allowed them to have a, a really philosophical segment where they could kind of weave those things in because I do think that they talk about life, death, yes. the afterlife. Um, I mean, there's, you know, just, they pretty much hit it all right and set mm-hmm. it up for you, um, you know, for what happens. Uh, at the yeah, end. I thought that the fur trapper, by the way, was Keith Carradine until I watched the credits. It was not Keith Carradine. Did you did you think that was Keith? Carradine? I didn't think I, about it. I didn't th- yeah. think about it. Who who played him? Uh, a fellow named Chelsea Ross, who I believe played Abraham Lincoln in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. If I oh no way! That's I think so. so. Cool. I think so. But um, I loved his spiel. You know about. Yeah. The, the woman in, in taking, you know, the fur trapper representing taking what's yours, not really asking questions about things, acting out, you know, uh, the the religious woman played by the time daily man coming out of nowhere. I know. I know. I, what a brilliant piece of casting. Yeah. I, I just loved her. She does. She's not given a lot to do, but she makes the most out of what she is given uh, to represent, you know, um, puritanical a waspy mm-hmm. uh you know uh, uh righteousness you know so she's she's bookended by the frenchman who's more existential and the fur trapper who's more uh you know a uh, uh, humanist almost you know what i mean let's like, take what we can get and the frenchman uh-huh. being like why would you worry about such things and then she's stuck in the middle as the american religious you know representation sitting across from death <laughs> All three of them, the uncertainty that these two gentlemen are going to come knocking on your door one day. You didn't ask for this, right? But that bounty is a bounty, ma'am, and you got to take it. I mean, it's that I couldn't help but think during the segment, of course, of, uh, of Anton Sugar, you know, and, and just again, that, mm. that, that outlook of flip the coin. Just, just flip it. What, what are you worried about? Just flip it. It'll be what it'll be. I, I mean... This, this theme that the Coens have come back to again and again and again, which makes them very 
can make their their storytelling impenetrable sometimes. But as a literature person, you know, it just rings all those bells for me. Sure. Like they're sure. so they're so literate and so literature minded as far as 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 how they construct these stories. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and especially in something like this, because it's already an anthology piece. So, you you know, you right. already feel like you're, you know, uh, you're, you're seeing something that's adapted from, say, a collection of short stories. Right. I mean, that's they're literally trying. Yeah, to they, sort of... I think they did a Jack London and another one uh, where, where they got the ideas from for a couple of the stories. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, even in the way that they present it, right. I mean, each story begins with a book opening up and you have a yes. little picture and the, you know, I mean, so they're definitely sort of homaging, right. That, um, that literary style. Kind of um, also the, the old Disney movies, some of the old Disney yeah, movies. Like, yeah. Wasn't Davy Crockett the book, like they would open the book and the book and the, we were talking about that a couple of weeks ago. That's I right. Remember. Because yeah. somehow that, that lends itself to the audience that look, you can really believe what you're going to see because it yeah. it comes from a book, folks. It, it's a story. So it must be true, right? <laughs> you know that was the strategy, anyway. You know, yeah. these, these days we're way too cynically aware of that stuff. But yeah, back in those days, whoo, we're going to get the real story because it came from a book. You know. So, so to close on 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 this film, would you recommend this film, or 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 would you? Again, I always have such a tough time with Coen Brothers films. I am putting this film on my podcast list. Um, really? For the I students? Think, I think that it is a fantastic exploration into the um, subversion of the Western genre, which is something that these students know very well. Um, and I think that they would, um, I think that if, if they choose to do so, right. I mean, they have choices, but yes. as an option, you know, I would basically, basically let them say, Hey, if you like Westerns and you want to see those sort of turned on their head, uh, and subverted, this is a fun little ride, right? Hey, if you're an English major and you like kind sure. of literary kinds of cinematic interpretations, this might be, you know kind of your jam, right? I, just putting it out there. It's a little more recent than what I like to put on the list, right? Mm -hmm. um, but um, but yeah, that's that's where I stand on it. It was a pleasant surprise for me. I'm glad that, uh, that I watched it. And um, I, I did. I really, really enjoyed it. So yeah. I, you know, I always start with them. Have you seen it before? Uh, when it first came out. So this was okay. a rewatch, okay. but it's, okay. it had been since 2018. So okay. Okay. it had been a while. I always start with Coen Brothers films for people. I always start with uh, Miller's Crossing for those same subversive reasons that you're talking about because it spins the gangster film on its head. And I think that it's, they're young enough in their career where it's palatable and not too tough to penetrate. Um, I, think, I think that's always a really good introduction to the Coens um, is, is Miller's Crossing. See, I'm a little, I guess I'm a little bit gentler. I usually tell people to go to Raising Arizona. Right away to Raising Arizona. Um, because that's the one that I, I think that's the first one that I ever saw that they did. Um, and I just remember still, I mean, you know, we, we quote those lines all the time, you know, um, because it just, it, it resonates. It was a really big hit. Um, Huge. And, and it culturally was so, so funny. I mean, it's just so funny. Um but yeah, I tell them really to go more comedic, which may be a disservice to them because I usually steer people to like, you know, um, Raising Arizona, Big Lebowski, 
um, you know, more of their commercial, I guess, mainstream stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, more, but they're, but, you know, they're subverting genres with everything they do. Yes. So, you know, so I mean, you're not going to miss that, but you will certainly miss that sort of darker, you know, tone from like, say, more of the Miller's Crossings, the, mm-hmm. um, the Barton Finks. Um, oh, I never recommend Barton. I, I don't either. Um, I do like it, but it's. Oh, no, one. I love Barton it's, Fink, but it's, it's just like that's that's as we would as we say in what you and I do, it's like that's graduate level. It really yeah. is. I, yeah. I, I don't even think I saw it until I was in my master's program and really sort of studying film style and film technique and. You know, that's where I really grew to appreciate it. It's not one that I'm just going to talk like, hey, it's Friday night. Let me just let me throw it. on Bart and Fink. No, no, no. Would never put anybody through that. But I certainly <laughs> would, you know, if you want to really do sort of a meditation in style, I mean, that's a great choice. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a great choice. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're Lonely PhDs. I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hayes. He's Dr. Joseph Watson. We just got done talking about the Cohen Brothers the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which you can watch, I guess, in in perpetuity in Netflix forever and ever. I, I, it's a Netflix film, so I watched it on Netflix. Yeah, I watched it on Netflix as well. I, I don't see any reason they they put the money up for it, so I don't see any reason. Yeah, for I mean, Net- to show it on Netflix. Netflix doesn't do that. I'm looking at you, HBO. No, oh my, a lot of angry HBO Max people, or is now it's just Max? Now it's just Max. Yeah. Now, Max. Um, who, is, uh, who is running their marketing by the way they they they're I, I, apparently someone new every week because they just keep firing everyone i mean it's um, like am i getting discovery with this new package or is that separate is it an app what is going on like they they are in a crisis mode i really think i uh i still as i sometimes tell students you know uh maybe you just want to go out there and find something right <laughs> right and that's how i'm gonna put that um <laughs> you might just want to go out there and find something <laughs> up next speaking of gangster films uh we're going to take a look at martin scorsese's 1995 film casino with robert de niro joe pesci and sharon stone james woods also showing up in this film and being his absolute greasiest best that'd be my favorite like james woods performance i gotta be honest in in, in casino i mean he's so he's so fucking good in this thing as just an absolute piece of shit um, but uh, I'll, I'll let you introduce and get into the film uh, uh, before I even I'm, I'm overstepping. Please go ahead. No, 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 it's fine. I just uh, let me get this part out for our for our audience. Uh, Martin Scorsese's Casino is a crime drama film that was released in 1995 uh, from the book by Nicholas Pileggi. Uh, this was the second collaboration with Nicholas, uh, the first being Scorsese's film Goodfellas. This is uh, this is based on a true story uh, about the rise and fall of the Las Vegas uh, casino called the Stardust. Uh, it's called the Tangiers in the movie. They they could not uh, use Stardust in the film, uh, but the film follows the story of Sam Ace Rothstein, who's played by Robert De Niro. Uh, he's a professional gambler who is recruited by the mafia to oversee operations of the Tangiers Casino, and with the help of his friend and enforcer, Nicky Santoro, played by the impeccable Joe Pesci. Uh, Sam becomes one of the most successful casino managers in Las Vegas. Uh, However, the mafia's involvement in the casino business and Sam's growing obsessive relationship with a hustler named Ginger, 
played by the incomparable Sharon Stone, led to his downfall. And so, um, you know, the film kind of explores themes of uh, loyalty, greed, corruption, um, all of those things that you would sort of see as staples in the gangster mafia genre um, that have become tropes by this point in 1995, um, many of which Scorsese. I was going to say that he created. created yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. So um, I, so where does this film fall then, Jeff, in Scorsese's sort of canon? Because Goodfellas, I think Goodfellas is a far superior film, right? But Casino is, is uh, it's execution, Mm-hmm. From the from the narration to the way the camera never fucking stops, to the way that when it does stop, you know, oh, it's, it's a, really it's a roller coaster. Tender moments, right? It's just it's just a roller coaster, and it is it is driven by some fantastic performances. I mean, I, Sharon Stone is amazing in this. She's, and so, she she's get, so good. She she's doesn't so get good. enough. Uh, enough credit. Um, I know. She, I think she got nominated for this, but I don't know if she won. And and but she's really strong in this. And yeah. the supporting cast, as you pointed out, people like James Woods, Don Rickles. These people. These people. Oh man, are, Rickles bringing it. This is unbelievable. Like the cast that he had to work with. Um, so you know, it's just it's just Casino is just a a well executed film within its genre. Now I don't know if it's Scorsese's best. But I think that's where a really productive piece of the conversation, you know, where where does this fall in his sort of. Canon? Well, it's hard because what people forget about Scorsese is he, he really this was only his third mob movie. Right. You know, there's right. Mean Streets, Goodfellas and then Casino. And there was a long time between Mean Streets and Goodfellas. He made a lot of movies, folks. He made a lot of great movies taxi driver raging bull after hours last temptation of christ color of money color of money i i you know and and bringing out just, the dead no no that's after is this bringing, after 95 that is after bringing out the dead uh comes after casino um casino represented i think for some reason that people just wouldn't leave it alone you know that, that they wouldn't they just thought Goodfellas was it, you know, and they didn't look at his body of work and they didn't look at the different types. And he, he, I've read many interviews with him. He said it was frustration because I couldn't get another kind of movie made. You know, I was just like, when are you going to do a mobster movie? When are you going to do a mobster movie? And, you know, he wants to make, you know, Silence or, <laughs> which by the way, right, people, right. if you haven't seen Silence, ooh, I said, it's a good film. Um, mean, about, or, yeah, I mean, about the monks, I, you know, where his, even his monk, cycle of films you know about tibet um and he's worked in documentary he's made some great documentaries i mean one of the great the music documentaries yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, mean, it's, it's it's just it's just a shame that i think that he can make movies like casino effortlessly honestly <laughs> like i, I really, Se- seemingly right like seemingly well yeah. i mean but you know i mean it's just it's in his dna and and it's not really a difficult for me, at least, I, I don't think he, I don't think it's difficult subject matter. He doesn't have to spend a lot of time thinking about the subject matter. Instead, he can think about composition, right? And he can think about the roller coaster effect or the soundtrack, which is much just as important, right? The songs have to match because it's all pop music. It's all needle drops. It's all, you know, of these things. Um, and he can also focus on performance. 
you know, in really, I mean, Joe Pesci as a chaos agent in this film is much more over the evil. top than good. I mean, it's just evil. I mean, and we, just, and we get his perspective. Yes. You know, yes. that's different from Goodfellas, where we only get one perspective. In that's right. That's Here right. we get multiple perspectives. Uh, in Pesci's perspective, his character's perspective in this film is just brutal and honest and doesn't give a shit. You know, he calls, you know, Ross, he's Max soft all the time. He's just like, yeah, you ain't been so soft, so fucking soft. I mean, I th- you know, it's 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 like that. Uh, it's been thirty something years, right, since this movie came out. And that scene at the bar when he stabs that dude with the pen at the oh. you know at the at the very beginning, right? Yeah. Um, you you just it just sort of I I guess maybe this performance gets lost because he had a he had a string of really great work. Like Goodfellas, of course, obviously was mm-hmm. was you know, and people complained that this character was really just sort of a an alter ego of his other no. character and good, but I, I, don't I say think no way. I don't think no. that's fair. He puts um, a man's head in a vice. In a vice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, you know, Pesci did some great work in JFK too, you know, oh, in, absolutely. The, in, in the early nineties. And so he was, he was considered, I think, along with that um, Padre of, you know, from De Niro to Pacino to, he was part of that group, right? So you knew that if, if they did a film, he was probably going to play a role in it, right? You know, so you, you came to sort of expect him as a supporting actor. But in this one, he's really, there's really three leads in this movie, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with with uh, Ginger being the third, mm-hmm. um, who plays, did you, did you get a sense this time when I was re-watching it, I really got more of the... Um, little juices and elements that they stole of the femme fatale right character yes uh, um I, I mean that one really stood out and i thought well that probably had to be fresh on his mind too when you were re-watching mm-hmm. um you know how how all of those sort of characteristics played you know if the woman had to come in between them mm-hmm. if the woman you know uh, uh the woman was the one that messed up the whole thing the whole thing yeah 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 well uh, I, I think too it's interesting that our three leads are com- so completely true to themselves, mm-hmm. right? Like they can't pretend to be anything else. Even Sharon Stone tells him when they get together, she's just like, you got to promise you won't make me change. Like this leopard, this leopard don't change its spots, you know? And what does he do? He tries to force change. He goes into it anyway. And it's, it's, you know, and that's, that's a, such a great scene, right? When they're sitting on the couch and they're talking, you know, and, and he's like, you know, I want to have kids. I want to do this stuff. You know, I, I, I want this kind of life. And he, he just makes that critical mistake that we, that we see other people make, right. Where it's like, well, I'll, I'll change her. Right. I'll mm-hmm. just, you know, I, it'll, it'll be the, the glamor of the life. She, you know, this, you know, it'll be her dream. Right. Right. And he's just not listening to, to what she's practically saying. telling him from the beginning, this is not going to end well. I am not this person. You're, you're you know, you're, you're trying to make me something I'm not. And the, mm-hmm. there's that fantastic scene right after they get married, right? Mm-hmm. Where she goes off in the, you know, in the little hallway and is calling him and yeah. is talking to him, you know, yeah. about, you know, and it's, and, and he walks up on them doing it. It's, it's, he had so many signs along the way right that this was gonna not end well mm-hmm. um but it but it that that goes to ace's character and what nikki was complaining about 
from the very beginning. He only saw it his way, his way. He only his saw way. it his way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he couldn't see the big picture, you know. I mean, uh, and it's the, with that classic gangster trope, right? I mean, Scarface is the same thing, right? Just couldn't see, you know, got head got too big for the, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and also just the uh, constant, I love, one of my favorite things about this film is the constant cutbacks to Kansas City. Um, you know, and, and the mob bosses meeting in the Midwest for the for the trade-off and having the meetings in the back of the produce place. And I, I just, there's just something endearing about that to me. Like, I was just like, huh, haven't seen that before. Like that, like that, that was like, oh, okay. That's, that's really interesting. Like that, right. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought to film that, you know, or, or why bother keeping it in, but it is integral because they, they, he is showing you who is actually running the show. Sam is not running the show. That's he the other thing. He thinks he's running yeah, the show. Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing about Casino that, you know, I mean, so th- this movie fell on the Vegas movie list for us, right? Dana and I went to Vegas. And so we, you know, we, when we got back, we said we want to have a little sort of a Vegas movie marathon, right? This was one of the ones on the list because it does, Jeff, have that sort of historical component to it where if you're interested and learning about some history about how Vegas actually like, was invented more or less right uh this movie's got some of that history um and it's it is really interesting how those bosses in the back of that kansas City, they crack me up because uh you know they're they're so powerful they're controlling everything right thousands of uh, miles in i mean and they're not even anywhere close to that right yeah I mean, so there's so there could be no legal trace right of what's going on and then uh scorsese's mom who's like in every movie right is in the back right. corner like making them all this authentic food and it's just yeah it is it, it's so critical though for the audience to connect that all of this sort of glitz and glamour and and high profile drama all goes back to the back room of that you know little yeah. kansas city place it's just I thought that the one the one characterization that didn't work for me was when Scorsese tries to give us empathy or, or make us empathize somehow with Nikki by the way that he has that relationship with his son, something about pancakes and, you know, all that. And I'm just like, yeah, that doesn't work for me. Like, yeah, I, yeah. Well, I, I, it was, it was difficult for me to, uh, to find empathy for any of them. To be honest. Oh with no! You. Again, going back to our uh, conversation, but last yes, week, they're all pieces of shit. They're, they're all mean. pieces of shit. They're all narcissists in their own way. Um, but uh, so, so it's, a, it's all toxicity. But it's the toxicity that you're just you can't look away from, right? You have to watch like how the you know how how the all the drama unfolds. Um. But yeah, I, I I don't remember where we were going with that. So, well, I was just pointing out that that was something that I had a, a flaw that I felt was flawed. In the oh, world. right, 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 right. Overall, yeah, that because yeah, because there's nothing. There's nothing. You can't toss a kid in. You can't toss an animal in at the last minute to try to really force something when you've presented a character that has been so overtly unforgivable and mm-hmm. violent. And and it's, it's yeah. Um, you know, I, I think if anything, maybe the takeaway, folks, from that should not be necessarily empathy for Nikki, but empathy for the kid. Oh, because the kid is going to have grown up with that as that person as a father. And what right? I mean, there's the sort of maybe better takeaway there than. Yeah. A spoiler alert. Uh, Nikki gets it in a horrible way. Um, 
and his brother, Nikki and his brother. Oh, that's right. Oh, Nikki, Nikki is forced to watch, watch his brother go first, basically. So, yeah. so let's let's talk about the escalation then uh, between Goodfellas to Casino. Um, Casino is a more, much more violent film. It is much more visceral than Goodfellas, intentionally so, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also Scorsese. I mean, not only is it a different mindset on the part of the mob in that part of the country, I think that, you know, that needs to be explored. But also it's just like when you let these killers loose in a playground with no supervision, this is what you get. Right. And I, it's not hard when I've rewatched it, but certainly I remember the first time I ever saw Casino, I was just like, good Lord, like this is really amped up to 11, you know, and the needle drops are amped up to 11. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, let's go. Like you were talking about that roller coaster before. He's mm-hmm. like, you know, it's almost like he's saying, uh, you know, you want to see it? Okay. This is what you tell me that you want. So I'm going to give it to you. Here it right? is. Yeah, yeah. Here it is turned all the way up and i mean this is why you know i don't I, again he you know gangs of new york is the next one in the sequence if i'm not mistaken can't even come close like i mean that one but then again you when we talk about performance where it's the daniel day lewis show you know so i mean that's a whole other ball game but I mean, what did you, what, where's your stance on this with, with him in, in, in amping it up to 11 in this film and just saying like, you know, you wanted the popcorn mob movie for the 1990s, here you go. Well, keep in mind, Jeff, that uh, Natural Born Killers was 94. 94 so, you know, yeah. extreme violence, um, you know, was on the rise, right? And it was definitely something that audiences were consuming. I mean, you know, we're, we're in the Reservoir Dogs uh, to Rise of Tarantino mid-90s, you know, kind of era where those boundaries were just being pushed. I I don't know outside of the Vice scene, like, I mean, obviously that one was the most intense for me, but um, I, I didn't have a shocking, violent reaction to it 30 years later. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I definitely remember being shocked by it when I first saw it, for sure. Um, it has this i don't so i don't know this for sure did scorsese take a lot of flack for being a like a perverter of violence like did he take a lot of hits for this like i don't i don't think the, he took i don't like remember the, i don't remember either I, I i can't imagine that he took a verhoven level of hits um right right you know, who who still has him beat i mean robocop is still one of the most violent things you're ever going to see. Yeah, also Starship, one of the Starship funniest, Troopers. One like of the funniest things you're ever going to see, which is why RoboCop still works. But uh, it's it's satire is uh, there is none blacker. Um, but uh, uh, you know, no, I I don't think so. I think that people, I think he knew what he could get away with. Um, I think that again, he wanted to make a very entertaining film that reflected what he could do at the times based on the money that they were going to give him to make the film. Uh, again, this is not by any stretch of imagination, my favorite Scorsese movie. Um, it, it's, it's definitely middle of the pack as far as, but I'll, I, 
he's made such an entertaining film. I can't not watch it. You know what I mean? Like this is again, one of those, what we call, you know, movie rainy movies uh, on a Sunday, you know, if it, if it comes on and I happen to be flipping, I'm like, Oh, casino like that. And I'll go, yep. I'll end up watching it every single time. Same with Goodfellas. Yeah, it's just it's just good storytelling. Um, and so, you know, if you're if you're interested in the genre and you you know haven't seen it or you need more, more exposure to those kinds of stories, this is a good one, right? It's just, but it is graphic. It is violently, ex- you know, <laughs> it's extreme uh, in places. But I don't think it ever. And perhaps this makes the violence more terrifying, but because I don't think that it ever steps outside the bounds of possibility or reality of what. Mm-hmm. might have actually occurred in 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 those situations right i mean um but but if if he if you know he has to have a casino in order to make a bringing out the dead right sure. so i mean what's your trade off that's that's what i would say to people sure. like when i'm evaluating his canon in general i'm like well watch i'd say okay so watch casino then watch bringing out the dead which right. follows casino right i mean right or it's almost like the same the same guy the same guy made this like it's it's crazy to think about even though bringing out the dead is very kinetic uh and he continues his you know editing Thelma Schumacher I always got to give it up for her man amazing his, his amazing editor um I, I can't recommend the the Raging Bull Blu-ray enough just so they have a sit down with her and she walks you through one of the segment, the boxing segments and tells you about all the choices and how they make choices. And it's absolutely fascinating, her process. I just just one of the greats, man. One of the absolute greats, Thelma Schumacher. I, uh, I recently um, listened to a podcast from a student about The Last Temptation of Christ. Interesting. Which I thought was, a, you know, that's another Scorsese uh, yeah. gem. Uh, and um, and that student uh, enjoyed the movie, didn't know anything about it, had never heard about it, had never, you know, but had a chance to research some history behind it and, and found it quite provocative and, and, and interesting, um, you know. And then I thought, well, gosh, maybe uh, for the double feature assignment. Mm-hmm. I should just put Last Temptation of Christ followed by The Passion of the Christ, and we'll see. See what floats. See what comes out, right? <laughs> yeah, you've got you've got two definite, distinct visions, <laughs> right? Or maybe I'll do uh, Passion of the Christ uh, followed by the Velocipaster, right? I mean, maybe yeah. maybe that's the. Oh, now the Velocipaster, one of our favorites here at the pod. <laughs> Velocipaster 2 coming hopefully soon. You can get in touch with us a number of ways. You can email us, lonelyphds at gmail.com. You can click on the link in our show notes to our Discord where we carry on the conversations and post all kinds of fun things. Uh, you're always welcome over there. Please subscribe. Like, there you go. Subscribe, like, uh, and, and uh, leave comments on the show through Apple Podcast, Podbean, Google, or wherever you get your podcasting needs from. And until next time, I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hayes. I'm Dr. Joseph Watson. We'll see you then. <laughs>